Look at us. Five years, and yet... Still fucking up the still microphones. <laughs> it's still like the first time, every time. Good. Um, yeah, you know. How are you? I'm good. Did you have a nice 420? Did we record this? I'm trying to think. What we didn't record these out of order. What we recorded, um, we had to pre-record because you're coming to visit, and we will document that. No, on our I know, Instagram. I know, I know. But I'm saying like we recorded out of order, so I think we talked about. I I don't think we can talk about our 420 plans because we talked about 420 next episode. Oh, did we? Oh wow. Yes. Oh no. Oh my. And if that's not the most 420 shit, I don't know what it is. And if we didn't... So tune in next week. If we didn't, you'll never know what we did for 420 because... No, because then we're recording another episode and then we'll know what we... We can talk about what we did. Okay, cool. All right. That's what I'm saying. It's... Y'all, this is crime culture. Hey. <laughs> What's going that on? That is indeed Haley. Hi. That's I am Caitlin. indeed Caitlin. We yeah. are basically just... It's like herding cats. Yep. We're doing time. great. We're doing um, great. This is an exciting episode. First of all, because it was um, uh, Patreon assisted this week, uh, yes. this month, because um, we have to pre-record a bunch of stuff, so we couldn't mm -hmm. um, dedicate an entire episode to specific Patreon suggested research. So, um, and also because yesterday, as you are listening to this. Uh, if you're listening on the day that it comes out, yesterday was World Book Day. It was. So we wanted to talk about um, some novel controversies in the true crime thriller um, type sphere. Yeah. Some people have fucked up a little bit. Yeah. It, listen, writers don't seem like they could be What's the word that I'm looking for the most? Uh, Dominating the headlines as far as controversies? Yeah! They're not like like the they Kardashians. don't seem like they're... Yeah! Or they're not... They don't seem very um, wild, very very prone to antics. But yeah. let me tell you. We've um, covered... Yeah. We've covered a couple in the past. Like we were discussing before this, I think you could consider... Um, the Girl Next Door by Jack Ketchum, kind of a controversial book, mm -hmm. um, not exclusively based on the Sylvia Likens case, but just kind of loosely based. But still, it, it did cause some controversies um, as far as the content of it being yes. a little bit much. Um, we talked about uh, Ayanna Kazian uh, and her fiance, mm -hmm. Blake Libel, who's a graphic novelist that basically described his murder of her. Admitted to it. Yeah. Yeah. essentially uh, in this in this in the graphic novel that he wrote one of them that was episode 133 yeah curious yes we have a whole episode on that um, um you covered the other two <laughs> i did i well yeah that's what i was like do you want me like yeah because other ones that we've talked about um most recently i'd say was episode 255 we talked about the murders of brenda and erica lafferty and as part of that case we talked about the controversy surrounding john krakauer's novel under the banner of heaven which was then turned into the Hulu series, mm -hmm. and there's controversy surrounding that, particularly with the Mormon community. Um, and then probably most notably, well, to us, with our with what we do anyway, um, would be British true crime author Anne Perry, who, as we said in episode 197, spoiler alert, um, I mean, obviously, I guess not, because that was over like close to 100 episodes ago, but... Yeah. For those who don't know, she was convicted alongside her best friend, Pauline Parker, of murdering Parker's mother. And then she ended up changing her name from Juliet Hume to Ann Perry and became a prolific true crime novelist until people were like, isn't wait, who like, is this? Yeah, isn't this that woman <laughs> that did that murder? Wait, she did what now? Yeah. This was pre-Wikipedia that people were figuring this out. And then it was, ooh. But so in that regard, though, we did, we are covering some standalone more i don't want to say popular because that's kind of icky but like i some think all more these books, well known yeah, widespread these, these books are definitely like they were in the pop culture sphere 
not too long ago, I would even say. Like they're no. they're pretty they're pretty modern uh pretty modern books and people will definitely recognize the um the titles at least. I mean, been turned into movies and stuff like that. So definitely yeah. um notable and have controversy swirling around them. Um and we're gonna dive right in with the very first one that Hell people yeah. will know if you've ever been in high school. Uh this is no. <laughs> Alice Seabold's no. The Lovely Bones. Did you not read this in high school? No, I went to a Catholic high oh, school. The fuck you think? <laughs> like, if you went think to about a, that. If you went to a heathen high school, then you probably read this book or yeah. read the book that we're going to be talking about, Lucky. Um, yeah, spoiler alert about The Lovely Bones. I'm not going to say the plot, but there's a key plot point, I will say, that is a frequent joke about Catholicism. And I don't think they wanted us to read too deeply into that and make any kinds of connections or jokes. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, that said, trigger warning for what we're going to be talking about um, sexual assault. So yes. just be warned. So Alice Siebold was born in Madison, Wisconsin, 1963. When she was young, her family moved to a suburb outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and her father taught Spanish at UPenn while her mother was a journalist for a local paper. Uh, during Alice and her older sister Mary's childhood, they often took care of their mother who suffered from frequent panic attacks and drank heavily. Um, while she was unable to get into UPenn, she went to Syracuse University for undergrad. After graduating in 1984, she briefly went to the University of Houston in Texas before moving to New York City, where she stayed for 10 years. She had several waitressing jobs while she worked on her writing career, but nothing was really taking off. So she moved to Southern California, where she became a caretaker of an artist colony, earning $386 a month and living in a cabin in the woods without electricity. But honestly, sounds like pretty pretty dope i think i know what cabin or yeah, not right specifically what cabin but i think i know where she is yeah exactly <laughs> i can guess <laughs> um she eventually earned an mfa from the university of california irvine in 1998 um mm. but in 2002 alice's most famous novel the lovely bones was published if you don't know it's about a 14 year old mm -hmm. girl named Susie who was raped and murdered by a neighbor the novel remained on the New York Times bestseller list for over a year, and by 2007, over 10 million copies were sold worldwide. In 2010, it was adapted into a film of the same name by Peter Jackson. Yes, that Peter mm -hmm. Jackson. And interesting, because he's the one who made the movie about Ann Perry slash Juliet Hume and Pauline Parker, oh. their crime. Well, he's he's just tangentially related to all of these like weird true crime shits. Peter, right. what are you doing? That's cool. I like it. Uh, the film stars Sarcy Ronan, Susan Sarandon, Saoirse. Stanley Tucci. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Tucci. Like inertia. I get it. Mark Wahlberg and I'm Rachel Weisz. Um, in an interview with Publishers Weekly, Siebold said, quote, I was motivated to write about violence because I believe it's not unusual. I see it as just a part of life, and I think when... Uh, I think we get in trouble when we separate people who've experienced it from those who haven't, though it's a horrible experience. It's not as if violence hasn't affected many of us, end quote. I, I agree with that. I think that's yeah, that's a okay motivation to write a book. Um, mm -hmm. And she would know about violence. As she started writing Susie's story, she needed to stop and write about her own experience first. Um, in the early hours of May 8th, 1981, while Alice was a freshman at Syracuse University, she was sexually assaulted um, while walking home from a uh, through a tunnel uh, to an amphitheater near campus. She reported the crime to campus security and the police took her statement and investigated, but could not identify any suspects. Five oh. months later, while walking down the street near the Syracuse campus, she encountered a man whom she believed to be her rapist. The man named Anthony Broadwater uh, ultimately served 16 years in prison, maintaining his innocence throughout. Because wow. he would not admit to the attack, he was denied parole five times. Broadwater was released in 1999 and remained on the New York uh, Sexual Offender Registry. After the rape, Alice was traumatized and struggled to make sense of life for at least 10 years. She started and stopped writing several projects before realizing that she needed to deal with her own trauma first. And that's why she wrote her memoir, Lucky, which was published in 1999 in which she described every aspect of the rape in great detail. 
She used the fictitious name Gregory Madison for Broadwater. The title of the memoir stemmed from a conversation uh, with a police officer who told her that um, another woman had been raped and murdered at the same location that and that Alice was, quote unquote, lucky because he hadn't killed her. Alice Jesus. wrote that the attack made her feel isolated from her family and that for years afterwards she experienced hypervigilance. Um, she resigned her night job fearing danger in the dark. She was depressed. She suffered from nightmares. She drank heavily and snorted heroin for three years. Oof. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. after reading Judith Lewis Herman's Trauma and Recovery, she realized that she had developed post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh my god. So this all goes on until actually quite recently. I want to say, what was it? Was it 2018? I'm pulling up a couple of different articles. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that continued until um, in 2021, it was announced that Lucky was going to be adapted into a movie with you and the Haunting of Hill House slash the Haunting of Bly Manor star Victoria Pedretti playing Alice Siebold. Uh, director or writer of the film, Timothy Mushanti? Mushanti? I, think I think it's Muchianti. Muchianti? I'm bad mm-hmm. at names. Uh, began working. Uh, so Yeah, he's the executive producer. So he began working on the project uh, to adapt it into a film, but soon noticed discrepancies in portions of Alice Siebold's book describing the trial. He later told the New York Times, quote, I started having some doubts, not about the story that Alice told about her assault, which was tragic, but the second part of the book about the trial, which didn't hang together, end quote. After being fired from the project because he did not provide funding as he had originally agreed, Mishanti uh, hired a private investigator to review the evidence against Broadwater. In November 2021, Broadwater was exonerated by a New York Supreme Court justice who determined that there had been serious issues with the original conviction. The conviction had relied heavily on two pieces of evidence, Siebold's testimony and microscopic hair analysis, a forensic technique the United States Department of Justice later found to be unreliable. At the police lineup, which included Broadwater, Siebold had identified a different person as her rapist. When police told her that she identified someone other than Broadwater, she said the two men looked, quote, almost identical, end quote. Defense attorneys arguing for Broadwater's exoneration asserted that after the lineup, the prosecutor lied to Siebold, telling her that the man she had identified and Broadwater were friends and that they both came to the lineup to confuse her. They also stated that Siebold wrote in Lucky that the prosecutor coached her into changing her identification. In 2021, Broadwater's new attorney argued that this influenced Siebold's testimony. Uh, Onganda County District. Onondaga. Onondaga. That sounds right. Onondaga County <laughs> District Attorney. <laughs> uh, uh, William J. Fitzpatrick, who joined the motion to overturn the conviction, argued that uh, suspect identification is prone to error, uh, particularly when the suspect is a different race from the victim. Seabold is white and Broadwater is black, mm. um, which is, I think, something we want to cover in another episode of like um, uh, like that that uh, Netflix series called Exhibit A that talked yeah. about how different um, evidence can be really good and really bad. So we'll probably talk about something like that. Like, I'm very interested by um, witness identification and the things that like can go wrong with that absolutely i agree i mean you could be sending someone to death for just forgetting what somebody looks like well i mean or being so traumatized that like you couldn't identify somebody like you'd like to think that if something horrible happened like if something horrible happened to me i'd like to think i would recognize the people that were there but i think i would just be so shot with adrenaline that i don't know that i could even tell you like what street i was on like right well yeah we can't all be so freaked out yeah right Um, but i think that also it's it's a, a good point that yeah worst case scenario you could cost somebody their life but at the same time like broadwater lost six years of his life and all because he literally like it all could have gone away if he had just said, yup, I did it, but he hadn't. No, he didn't lose And he was being he completely honest. Yeah, he was in sorry, prison I misspoke. 16. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. Um, 16 years. I got, I got two. I got two in it. Um, 
he lost but that's what i'm saying he lost close to two decades like and he will never get those years back yeah and he's got to figure out now how to reintegrate into society after having been imprisoned and it's just it's and even after that he was painted as a sex offender any parent we talked about this with jeffrey jones not that one um that how that's there that is public information and they've got to find the time to take him off that but even still people in the neighborhood can just look that up and see him on that and it's just yeah well after his exoneration broadwater said quote I'm not bitter or have malice towards her, end quote. A week later, Siebel publicly apologized for her part in his conviction, saying she was struggling, quote, with the role that I unwittingly played within a system that sent an innocent man to jail, end quote, and that Broadwater, quote, became another young black man brutalized by our flawed legal system. I will forever be sorry for what was done to him, end quote. Uh, Scribner, uh, who's the publisher Scribner. of Lucky? Scribner. Um they, they were the publisher of Lucky. They released a statement following Broadwater's exoneration that um, distribution of all formats of the book would cease while Siebold and the publisher determined how to revise the work. Right. Well, and I think it's also good to know because I just remembered this. Um, so after Broadwater was exonerated in November 2021, Victoria Pedretti also dropped out of the project. Yeah. Like she straight up was like, I want nothing to do with this. This well, is I think, really fucked up. I um, think um, uh, the adaptation was dropped because they lost uh, financing because of this situation. Yes. So she what happened was she dropped like this is basically from what I had seen in Variety. So she dropped out in so because this was all very fast. Yeah. They announced it in like late spring early summer of 2021 by november 2021 it's like oh actually broadwater may not actually have done this um surprise we may we may have fucked up here um and his but so day like the first day not the first day but on the on the 25th it had lost it's funding, I believe. And yeah. then on the 27th, Victoria Pedretti had dropped out. Like, so it, it it's... How do I put this? Um, like, there was still a chance that... Because like you were saying, like, they could take it and rework it and then get the funding back or whatever. But she dropped out. So she was also like, I don't want a fucking thing to do with this at all um yeah and i don't i don't know that it it will probably move forward because of the controversy surrounding it like it's probably scrapped by now yeah i think it's i i would venture to agree with you that it's probably no more Um, so wild that uh the executive producer of a movie was able to exonerate a man when I guess a team of lawyers and judges and everybody couldn't. <laughs> I mean, a little... it's, it's sad. It's the icky. fact that he noticed inconsistencies and nobody but else did. I think he cared enough to notice. And I think that also, unfortunately, like he had fame on his side that he like, oh, well, we have to listen to this guy because he's a producer and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Like, it's very... It's it's a really fucked up world that we live in sometimes. Yep. Um, but that's all to say that the, they lost their funding and she dropped out, though, before I believe he was exonerated. I believe he was exonerated on, like, the last couple days of November. So. Yeah. And this is, again, this is 2021. This is, like, pretty goddamn recent. Yes. This is very recent. This is only, like, a little over, like, a year and a half ago. Yeah. I mean, and uh, in case you were wondering, Lucky has a 3.77 out of 5 on Goodreads with almost 100,000 ratings. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. My cat is screaming. I don't know if you heard that. As but, per usual. Uh, he's never not screaming. He gets it from his mama. All right. Next up, we've got Delia <clears throat> Owens, who 
you all may know from a little book called Where the Crawdads Sing. Yeah. Um, so she was born in 1949 and grew up in Thomasville, Georgia. And as a child, she mostly lived in or near like actual wilderness. Like I say that I grew up near the woods and that is that is correct. But, but like, like suburb woods. She was. Yeah, she was in the woods. Yeah. Um, and that is something she continued to do into her adulthood. She knew that she wanted to be a writer since she was young, but she ended up deciding on a career in science instead. Um, cool. And she still she still wrote, but it was mostly about her research to do mm-hmm. with science specifically i mean when she was at the university of georgia she graduated with a bachelor of science in zoology and then she went on to go there for for her graduate degree studying biology where she met her husband mark in a protozoology class they ended up getting married in 1973 and then the following year in 1974 they moved to southern africa to study animals in the kalahari desert in zambia yeah She then also received her PhD in animal behavior from the University of California, Davis. So, yeah, very smart woman. And that's kind of what she would write about. She had released some novels or not novels, but like nonfiction about they they studied hyenas. They studied all kinds of like wildlife. Uh And so she wrote about that. And she was also very into activism for protecting animals. So she would write about that as well. And then in 2018, she released her debut fiction novel, a coming of age murder mystery titled Where the Crawdads Sing, which is about a woman named Kaya Clark, who raised herself in the marshes of the Deep South. um, And then one day she becomes a suspect in the murder of a man with whom she was once involved. Hmm. So it ends up being this sleeper hit, like the publishing house that like took on uh, Owens's book, Delia's book. I'm going to try to go by her first name just because there's a lot of Owens's in this. Um, The woman who the publishing company who took it on, they initially printed something like 28,000 copies. Yeah, they did not think that it was going. She was not a big name, especially in fiction. Like it wasn't one of those things, but it was truly just a sleeper hit that took the country, if not the world, by storm. Yeah, um, my my best friend's mom is, was a teacher for ever, and she like huge reader. Will read yeah. like several stacks of books over the summer, and uh, they the they always do um like a mini uh, reading club, uh, book club down at the at the beach when i go down there and this was the book one year before it was like such a hit because i started seeing it everywhere yeah i was like i was like oh karen fucking knows she knows the she knows what books are going to be hits karen fucking called it because she is so it came out in 2018 she read that shit in the summer of 2018 um for for what for what it's worth this became one of the best-selling books of all time it currently has a 4.41 out of 5 on goodreads at the time of us recording this with over 2.5 million ratings holy shit i know that doesn't even include the reviews and by april of this year so literally this month by this month it had sold over 18 million copies i know so the book was so successful that it was adapted into a movie of the same by the same name, which was produced by Reese Witherspoon, who had also uh, who had also previously selected the book for her book club in September 2018. So okay. quite literally, Haley, your mom beat Reese Witherspoon. Your mom's book club did it first. Reese My may have been in that book club. Friends, mom. Oh, that's what I meant. I didn't mean Lisa. I did mean Miss Karen. Um, She's sorry. also my sorry. mom. Sorry. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, pretty much. I mean, just like how your mom's yeah. case mom. Um, but so this was produced by Reese Witherspoon and Lauren Neustadter. And the movie premiered on Netflix in July 2022. It has a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb with over 92,000 ratings, a 74% Google score, and a 34% tomato meter rating on Rotten Tomatoes, with a 96% audience score with over 5,000 ratings. Uh, The critics' consensus is, quote, Daisy Edgar Jones gives it her all, but Where the Crawdads Sing is ultimately unable to distill its source material into a tonally coherent drama. Oh, okay. End quote. Yeah, so it was universally beloved by people that are not critics. Uh, but critics aren't th- always right. You're allowed to love something right. even though critics don't like it. But in this case, like that, the the critical panning, so to speak, was barely the beginning of the movies and the books' issues. 
Yeah. In 2019, so just as when the crawdads, where the crawdads sing was sweeping the nation, journalist Laura Miller dug deeper into Owens and her now ex-husband Mark's activities in Zambia, saying in the viral piece that she wrote for Slate, quote, what most of Crawdad's fans don't know is that Delia and Mark Owens have been advised never to return to one of the African nations where they once lived and worked, Zambia, because they are wanted for questioning in a murder that took place there decades ago, end quote. Fucking wild. Yeah. Miller also referenced a nearly 20,000 word expose for The New Yorker written by Jeffrey Goldberg in 2010, in which he said that, quote, the American embassy warned the Owenses not to enter Zambia until the controversy was resolved, end quote. So what is that controversy, you may ask? Here's what happened. In 1995, an ABC television film crew was following the Owenses around for a documentary that was initially intended to be about the couple's zoology and conservationist efforts in Zambia. But what they ultimately captured was something more sinister. There was footage of an of an unidentified man. Um, he was later referred to as a, quote, suspected poacher, end quote, in the ABC special that aired the following year, Deadly Game, the Mark and Delia Owens story. Um, so this man is shot at by a person whose face is blurred. And the man, the so the man is, who is being shot at, their face is, his face is blurred. The person doing the shooting, their face is blurred. And more shots continue to be fired off screen until the poacher's body, the supposed poacher's body goes still. Ooh. Yeah. So the footage then became the turning point. Um, the camera who filmed, the cameraman who filmed the incident told Goldberg that he believed Delia's stepson, Christopher Owens, committed the murder. But she told Goldberg in 2010 that her stepson was not present when the man was shot. Goldberg also spoke to Zambia's director of public prosecutions, Lilia Shawasiuni, who confirmed that Delia, Mark, and Christopher Owens are still wanted for questioning, saying, quote, there is no statute of limitations on murder in Zambia. They are all wanted for questioning in this case, including Delia Owens, end quote. Yeah. And to make matters worse, in his most recent piece for The Atlantic, Goldberg wrote that he spoke to Zambian officials who were, quote, keen to interrogate Mark and Christopher Owens, but also believe that Delia Owens should be interrogated as a possible witness, co-conspirator, and accessory to felony crimes, end quote. Like, very, this is, this is literally, it's, he wrote that in July 2022. Yeah. Like, they so when the still, movie comes out. Yes, but also the fact that this happened in 1995 and they're not letting up. They It's no. close to 30 years later. They still are like, you step foot in our country, it's on site. That's, yeah. that's not good. That is, no matter how you slice it, not good. Um, so it, it gets, it gets more dicey so in miller's slate article she wrote quote having her heroine stand accused of murder echoes the owens's zambian experience and the subsequent ordeal of becoming the subject of an eighteen thousand word expose in a prominent magazine end quote there are also other connections drawn to the book in the alleged case in this 2010 article that goldberg wrote he also covered the complicated relationships the owenses had with local scouts and poachers and noted that the couple's written works quote on occasion convey archaic ideas about Africans, end quote. Gets worse because Miller actually referenced that exact like mention um, and drew a direct parallel between Goldberg's observation and Owens's depiction of black characters in her novels. Specifically, she referenced a scene in which a black character named Jumpin, who is one of Kaya's only friends and notably one of the few characters who shows her any kindness, sees that she has been assaulted and wants to call the police. And Miller wrote, quote, the idea that any black man living in the rural South during the early 60s would seriously consider reporting to local law enforcement the attempted rape of a white woman by the son of a prominent white family is ludicrous. Yeah, that's not even in the realm of reality no no 
As for Delia, though, she has distanced herself from the murder accusations and rarely discusses it with the press, though she did tell the New York Times in 2019 that she was not involved in the shooting, saying, quote, it's painful to have that come up, but it's what Kaya had to deal with, name calling, end quote. Yeah, Yeah, the murder of somebody is the same as what your fucking book character had to do with. Yikes! That's, Miss Miss Girl, (laughs) I, I would have quit while you were ahead with that one. Like, you've got probably a sizable amount of money from just this book much less the movie like quit while you're ahead but i did leave this part until the end because if people want to skip because of spoilers like go off go ahead by all means but so this one came as a request from one of our patreon patrons meg who said quote this is where you skip i'd go about like 30 ish seconds quote delia owens author of where the crawdads sing was being investigated for the past crime of murdering someone What's even better, part of Crawdad's spoilers, part or part of the plot of Crawdad's spoilers, includes a murder trial where the suspect is found not guilty, but later on reveals that they did in fact do it. End quote. Damn. Damn. And like, as we said, the, that suspect is Kaya. Bullshit. That is some OJ Simpson Simpson bullshit. Like that yeah. is one hundred ten percent like girl. If girl, I did it, does life affl- reflect art, girl? If I did it, that would have been such a good one to cover. We should have done that. <laughs> no, Shit. that'll be a whole that'll OJ be that's, series. No, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. We've got, we've got a like Nicole. We gotta talk about them stopping. Nicole deserves of a whole episode. Bronco. Nicole yeah. deserves a whole episode. Michael's yeah. dad to this day constantly anytime that there is a bronco on the road on tv if there's a mention of it he just bronco because of that there are some uh i saw a new bronco recently looks actually pretty it's, nice it's like, no oh, it looks really cute but i yeah that's what i'm saying like <laughs> i can't do that i can't do a vw bug i just yeah let us know what car you can't do because of the crime because it's of associated with because yeah. of crimes but yeah um, the next book we're going to be talking about was popular a couple of years ago, uh, specifically because of Oprah. It is A Million and Little always. Pieces by James Frey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so James Frey was born in Cleveland, Ohio on September 12, 1969. Nice. He had written a few screenplays in the late 90s, but his first book, a memoir titled A Million Little Pieces, was published in April 2003. It tells the story of a... 23-year-old James Frey, who was an alcoholic and abuser of other drugs and how he coped with rehabilitation in the 12-step-oriented treatment center. Mm. So it's like a a redemption story of drugs and alcohol addiction. Yeah. Um, So after a six-week investigation, The Smoking Gun published... This is all like yada-yadaing over a bunch of stuff. But um, So The Smoking Gun published an article on January 8th, 2006... So some years afterwards, mm-hmm. uh, called A Million Little Lies, Exposing James Frey's Fiction Addiction, <gasps> which alleges that Frey fabricated large parts of his memoir, including details about his criminal record. Oh, no. Yes. One incident in the book that came under particular scrutiny was a 1989 train and automobile collision in St. Joseph Township, Michigan. The website stated that Frey... Uh, was never incarcerated and that he had greatly exaggerated the circumstances of a a key arrest that was detailed in the memoir in which uh, he hit a police officer with his car high on crack, uh, which led to a violent melee with multiple officers and an 87-day jail sentence. In the police report, the smoking gun uncovered Frey was held at a police station for no more than five hours before (gasps) posting bond a few hundred dollars for some minor offenses. The arresting officer, according to the smoking gun, called recalled that Frey uh, was polite and cooperative. Damn. Yeah, that's a that's That's... not just like fudging dates and like times and stuff. That is that that is fiction. You you created a story. That yeah. is that is a fiction addiction. Like they were not fucking no. around with that. Oh wow! According to CNN, the smoking guns um, editor William Bastone said, "Quote: The probe was prompted after the Oprah show aired. We initially set off to just find a mugshot of him. It basically set off a chain of events that started with us having a difficult time finding a booking photo of this guy." End oh, quote. My God. So this was this was a huge Oprah book. Like yeah. this was like part of her like oprah's book club like she was like 
so into this as being like a redemption story and like helping people um who battle who are battling with addiction of like this is a success story of something that can you could turn your life around you can beat this stuff like that so she was really Yikes. into that That's... so the minneapolis minneapolis star tribune has questioned james Frey's claims as early as 2003 so when the book came out Frey responded at that time by saying quote i never denied i've altered small details end quote <gasps> yeah Story That's not a small detail. No. Story surfaced about Random House, which was the publisher yeah. of A Million Little Pieces, uh, deciding to give full refunds to anyone who had purchased the book uh, directly through it. According to Gawker, uh, reports um, customers would have to claim their money if they uh, truly felt that they were deceived by Frey. Whoa. Yes. Uh, in an article detailing the book, Frey is quoted as saying, he, quote, stands by the book as being the essential truth of my life, end quote. However, on January 26, 2006, Frey once again appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show and this time admitted that he had the same quote unquote demons that made him uh, turn to alcohol and other drugs had also driven him to fabricate crucial portions of his quote unquote memoir. Uh, It first having been shopped as being a novel, but declined by many, including Random House itself, Winfrey told Frey that she felt quote, really duped end quote, but that quote, more importantly, I feel that you've betrayed millions of readers, end quote. Oh, my God. You know, it's she, bad when Oprah is like. Yeah, you're you going to make f- Oprah apologize for some shit. Like, damn. You fucked with Oprah. Like, yeah. think about that. Think about that. Oh, yeah. my God. Oprah also had to apologize for her previous telephone uh, statement to Larry King Live during Frey's appearance on that show on um, uh, January 11th, 2006 that what mattered was not the truth of Frey's book, but that its value as a therapeutic tool for addicts. She said, quote, I left the impression that the truth is not important, end quote. During the show, Winfrey interrogated Frey about everything from the number of root canals he had to the existence of his girlfriend, Lily. Winfrey then brought out Frey's publisher, Nan Talese, to defend her decision to classify the book as a memoir and forced Talese to admit that she had done nothing to check the book's veracity despite the fact that her representative had assured Winfrey's staff that the book was indeed nonfiction and described it as a quote brutally honest end quote in a press release David Won't Carr of the New York, right David Carr of the New York Times wrote quote both Mr. Frey and Ms. Talese were snapped in two like dry winter twigs end quote <laughs> Larry King said quote Oprah annihilates Frey end quote you don't anger Oprah. <laughs> you don't fuck with Oprah. That's what I'm you saying. Bring like the we wrath all of saw. God. We all saw what happened on Drake and Josh when he hit Oprah with his car. Like you yeah. don't fuck with Oprah. Oh my God. The New York Times columnist uh, Maureen Dowd wrote, "Quote: It was a huge relief after our long national slide into untruth and no consequences, into swift boarding and swift bucks." to uh w's delusion and denial to see the empress of empathy icily hold someone accountable for lying end quote <laughs> this is, oh my god the washington this, post oh. richard cohen was also impressed by the confrontation that he had crowned winfrey quote mensch of the year hell <laughs> yeah listen oprah this belongs on oprah's greatest hits like it's up there All with like of, her well, confronting drew barrymore's mom if you missed it, all of Winfrey's reactions as well as clips of her interview with Frey are found within her book club's website. So Free sponsorship. Free sponsorship ahead. for Oprah. Like, not that she needs it, but yeah. damn. So damn. on January 13th, I'm skimming back just a little bit. January 13th, 2006, Sam Levitt, who is the co-author of the book Freakonomics, stated mm-hmm. in his blog that um, he searched the Center of Disease Control and Prevention database for mortality detail records, and he was unable to f- identify a single death that reasonably closely matched Frey's description of the circumstances of the death of um, Frey's alleged girlfriend in the book, Lily. Mm-hmm. Um, following Frey's admission to Winfrey that he had altered Lily's method of suicide in the book from cutting her wrist to hanging on uh, January 27, 2006, Levitt recorded on his blog that he was also unable to find a recorded death consistent with Frey's revised description, having previously written, quote, Frey's primary defense has been to say that his criminal history is a minor part of the book and these inconsistencies do not 
substantially change the meaning of the story. Of course, his criminal history is the only thing that the smoking gun actually looked into, given that virtually nothing checks out. It doesn't bode well for the veracity of the rest of the book. Damn. End quote. Yes. So it's not just his criminal history that is in question. It's literally every single detail of the entire book. On February 1st, 2006, Random House published Frey's note to the reader, which included in later editions of the book. In the note, Frey apologized for fabricating portions of the story. On February 24th, Frey's publicist revealed that Penguin imprint Riverhead had dropped out of the two-book seven-figure deal with Frey. Mm. Riverhead previously published Frey's best-selling 2005 book, My Friend Leonard. On September 12, 2006, Frey and publisher Random House reached a tentative legal settlement whereby readers who felt that they had been defrauded by a million little pieces would be offered a refund. In order to receive the refund, customers had to submit proof of purchase, such as pieces of the book itself, uh, page 163 from the hardcover or the front cover from the paperback, and completely and complete a sworn statement indicating that they had purchased the book under the assumption that it was a memoir, which is fucking crazy yeah. thing to go through oh on my Janu- God. uh sorry july 28th 2007 at a liter- literary convention in texas nantalise uh verbally attacked oprah for misrepresenting the purpose of the interview on january 26 2006 just before airtime both talise and frey were told the topic of the show had been changed to the james frey controversy um so yeah. she like invited them back on the show and then switched what they were going to talk about which i mean she's a She's an interview woman. Yeah, and it's Oprah. I was like, really? you don't fuck with Oprah. Like, if there's one thing that we take away from this episode, can that be it? It's that we just we don't we don't. If Oprah fuck with tells Oprah. you to jump, you say how high. It truly, truly, like I, I not even I'll apologize for not having jumped sooner. Yeah, like um, damn. <laughs> on November second, two thousand seven, the Associated Press published a, a story about a judgment in favor of readers who felt deceived by Frey's claims of a million little pieces being a memoir. Although the publisher Random House had set aside two point three five million for lawsuits, only about seventeen hundred readers came forward to receive a refund for the book. Really? The refund offer? Yeah, right. The I bet they didn't offer know was extended it. to anyone who had purchased the book prior to Frey's disclosing of uh, falsehoods. Chicago lawyer Larry D. Drury, who represented the class, received approximately $1.3 million for legal fees, distribution <laughs> of legal notices, and charitable donations to three charities, while total claimants' refunds issued to readers came out to about $27,348. Holy shit. The publisher also agreed to provide a disclosure at the beginning of the book, citing somewhat fictitious nature of the text. Which somewhat. Is under, yeah, it's an understatement. God. In May 2009, Vanity Fair reported that Winfrey had called Frey and apologized for the surprise topic change of the January 26th interview. She made a televised apology in 2011. Following the events of Frey's Oprah appearance, South Park parody, the scandal surrounded the controversy in the episode A Million Little Fibers. Can you imagine how bad it is? Leave when- like, south park when south park parodies you but then also when oprah calls to apologize because she eviscerated you so badly i'm yeah, sorry, like, I'm sorry I that fucking i fucking launched your... you into the sun also i don't know why they're like going through all of this rigmarole to be like like putting um something before the book saying like yeah some events are not as what they haven't just reclassify it like don't make it a memoir like Maybe, republish it as a I was going to say fiction. stop publishing it. Like if you can't be bothered to list. reclassify. I, I mean, I didn't even know that much about it. I'm a little disappointed. You didn't know anything about it? $27,000. $27,000. And I can't believe I didn't know about it. Yeah. I would have liked $27,000. <laughs> I could have used $27,000. That was my student loans, baby. Yeah, but it Still didn't is. go to one person. It got distributed oh i thought that it was everybody got twenty seven thousand dollars because not enough people all right it's all right but still that's not too bad twenty seven thousand dollars distributed amongst like seventeen hundred people that's that's math that's math that like we shouldn't have to do it's not what we're gonna get on the facebook girls don't do math but it's it's not what we're gonna get on the facebook settlement but i sent that to fucking everybody we're i did the math if every single facebook user like puts puts in for it we're probably going to get at most 25 cents <laughs> but anyway 
Um, they got around from the math that I just did. It sounds like about fifteen dollars, which is pretty that's good for a class action settlement. Yeah, that's Vaguely. pretty good for the. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty good for a class action settlement. That's better than what thinks the period underwear did because they asked for proof. I sent them proof that I had bought a pair because for those who don't know, if you have thanks, stop using your thanks because there's like fucking formaldehyde in them and all kinds of shit. Um, but I signed up for it and they sent me a letter on April 12th. I received it on April 12th. They were like, you have until April 14th to send us snail mail proof that you own this underwear because we can't find any proof. And I was like, what do you send want me to underwear. do? I was, I literally <laughs> was like, what do you want me to do? Fucking send this back to you? Like, what do you want? And so send I, the underwear, but, pervs. Yeah, I'm like, come on, like, don't be, don't be a dick. So I'm not getting my think settlement money. Um, thanks if you're listening I got a, to this. I got like, a settlement money from my um, uh, something that had to do with my wedding, like a website what? that I had to. Yeah, I'll tell you about it off air because I don't. Oh, wanna, like, I want to hear about this. Wanna, yeah, I don't want to blow up the spot, but like, oh, I'm excited. Yeah. I got Ooh, money. I'm excited. So it was cool. Oh, she got money. She got that. She got that wedding money. Um. All right, we'll close it out. We got with one a, more. With a weird one. We got one more. Um, so this one, this one was more news. The book isn't very well known. It had literally three ratings on Goodreads, but I also chalked that up to Goodreads. I chalked that up to the Goodreads. I didn't look up a million little pieces. Hold on. Huh? I didn't didn't look up a million little pieces on Goodreads. Hold on. Oh, oh, okay. I was just like, what do you mean? I thought you said I didn't do a million little pieces. I was like, honey, sweetheart, you just, you just did it. You just. It's also been made into like a TV show or something. It has a yes. three point six seven out of five on Goodreads with uh two hundred and forty five thousand ratings. Yeah, that'll do it. It still has the Oprah's Book Club sticker on it. Well, yeah, I mean, it was still in Oprah's Book Club. I find this also so fascinating that between the Lovely Bones, even though that wasn't the book that we covered, but with like Alice Siebold and Delia Owens and. Uh, what's his name? Fucking Jer- James Frey. Um, I was gonna call him Fakey Frey, but that's fine. Um, he. It, it's so interesting that like all of them, the common denominator, they all were in a prolific celebrity book club. Oh, they God. were all featured just, in a prolific reading, celebrity book club. I was just reading some uh, one-star reviews of a million little pieces. Oh Jesus oh, Christ! Oh no! Oh, give me a great what a hit. million Come little on. pieces of crap! By the time I finished <laughs> this book, I was craving a few stiff drinks, desperately tearing at a house looking for a syringe and a spoon. If I'd only thrown this one in the goodwill bin sooner, I have no clue why anyone would think this is worthwhile reading material. I found it to be vapid, self-aggrandizing bullshit from start to finish. Oh, don't hold back, Dash. Damn. Oh, we should do this from now on. Whenever, whenever somebody fucks with Oprah, we should read like the negative reviews. <laughs> Shit, man, that is. They, they had opinions. Oh my god, does this go on for longer? They had opinions. I hope it's it does. Longer. No, it's all right. All right, that's done. <laughs> Oof. I'm not gonna be able to, to compete with that one. I don't think. Um, but this one was, so, the book is. It was big in China. The author is big in China. And to the point where, like, we got the news about, like, after the, much, much further after. Um, But the news did break in the U.S. as well. Um, I vaguely remember hearing about it, but I, I didn't really, it didn't occur to me that I didn't put, like, the name in the book together. Okay. But so we're talking about Chinese author and poet Leo Yongbiao, and not much is known about him aside from that he was born around 1965 in the countryside of Anhui, one of China's poorest provinces. Uh, He originally got into writing because he failed to get into college, university. And in 1985, his first work was published in a magazine owned by the Literature Federation of Hefei. Hefei, um, the provincial capital. But his big break came in 2005 when his novel, A Film, was published by Writer's Publishing House, which is China's first major book publisher. So mm-hmm. more than so his career spanned over three decades. Um, and during this time, he found modest success as a fiction crime writer 
author. Um, he wrote a series of novels, true crime novels, or not true crime, but fake fake crime um, novels during the 2000s. And besides his fame, the novels brought Leo a series of accolades per another Chinese news outlet, The Paper, um, including a prestigious local literary prize. And according to Chinese news outlet Sixth Tone, in 2013, he was also accepted into the Communist Party-led China Writers Association and was just one of 13 members from the Anhui province. Um, Yeah. So fast forward, he ended up serving as chief editor of a school magazine. And one of his novels, which was published in 2014, and my source is different on this. It was either a romance novel or a historical fiction novel. Maybe it was both. Um... One of these novels, it was later adapted into a 50-episode television series. Wow. So, That's popular, like in China, yeah. like yeah, so it was yeah, it was popular. So in in 2010, he published a novel called The Guilty Secret, and in the uh prologue, the preface, so to speak, uh, he describes life from the perspective, uh, or, the, or I should say the book describes life from the perspective of several poor farmers, but, and that's what he grew up in. He grew up in poor farmland, yeah. so he was speaking from what he knew. But in the in the uh, the prologue, the preface, whatever you want to call it, he expressed his desire to write a suspense-filled cold case detective drama, quote, about a beautiful female writer who has killed many people, yet the cases remain unsolved, end quote. Um, And he expressed his hope that it would be adapted for the big screen and said, quote, I came up with the idea after reading some detective novels and watching crime shows and movies. The working title is The Beautiful Writer Who Killed, end quote. Mm. And so Leo never got to I don't know if he ever actually got to finish the sequel, but he definitely never got to publish it because there was just one problem the guilty secret was more than just a title. This one was the memoir that and James Fry didn't. He wasn't do. just writing what he knew okay. about farmers. So, on the night of November 29th, 1995, two men who spoke with Anhui accent- accents checked into a guest house in Huzhou, um and a guest house is akin to a okay. hostel. And that's in the neighboring Zhejiang province. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And according to a local security, that's according to a local security official who was quoted by the newspaper China Daily. Um, And this official said they allegedly checked in with this plan of robbing other guests in the hostel because they were poor, like dirt poor, and they were desperate for money. Um, But one of the guests who all I could find was that his last name was Yu, um, or their last name was Yu, rather. I don't even know that it was a man, um, caught these two men stealing at which point the two men used blunt objects believed to have been clubs and hammers and beat that guest to death. Oh, God. Then they murdered the elderly couple that ran the hostel as well as their 13-year-old son, grandson to cover up the crimes. Wow. Yeah. So after interviewing other guests, neighbors, people who happened to be going, like who lived nearby, passed by, so on and so forth, the local police had found, uh, had accrued two male criminal portraits some used towels fingerprints shoe prints and so the police in Anhui opened an investigation into the killings but because there were no surveillance cameras at the hostel and they didn't use any record keeping any id verification for any of their guests they yeah they the case ended up running cold like there were no hits on any suspects in their database there was just nothing so according to the paper, Zhu Chang, I believe is how you say his name, um, he's one of the local investigators on the case, said, quote, the biggest challenge was the suspects and the victims had no previous relationship. It was very difficult for us to follow the vine to find the melon, end quote, which I like yeah. that phrasing. Um, however, as DNA technology became more prevalent, the police were able to reopen the case in June 2017 after obtaining evidence from a cigarette butt found mm. at the crime scene. Yeah, so they then traveled to 15 Chinese provinces in order to link the DNA suspect, were eventually narrowing down their list after they analyzed about 60,000 fingerprint samples. Wow. And yeah, that's according to, to the China Daily. 
at which point they began to zero in on both Leo or Leo and his suspected accomplice, a 64-year-old legal representative of an inter- of an investment company who is named Wang Wang, I believe it's Wang Muming. And as it turned out, the men were good friends, and Wang had been working in Jili, a town in Huzhou, for two years at the time of the murders. Mm. So everything kind of lined up. Yeah. And on August 14th, 2017, undercover cops arrived at Leo's home and tricked him into thinking that they were researching into his family tree. And Leo ended up giving them a saliva sample, which they were able to match with the DNA sample from the crime scene. Ooh. Yeah. So at about 1 a.m. on August 16th, 2017, authorities arrested Leo at his home in Nanling County, Nanling County, which is in the eastern province of Anhui. And reportedly when they arrived, Leo said to them, quote, I've been waiting for you here all this time. Wow. That's crazy. End quote. Yeah. So according to a Chinese newspaper called The Legal Evening News, Leo told the police that he found it difficult to sleep at night for years after the murders because he was so haunted by what he had done and later admitted in another interview that the gory details in some of his novels, his <gasps> crime novels, were based on the killings. No. Yeah. That's fucked so, up. So, yeah. One it's of the arresting officers. Like, picked up sooner. Right? That's what I'm saying. They They had no fucking idea. So one of the arresting officers, Chen Hongui, Hongyu, um, I'm not 100%, told the paper that by the time the police came to take Leo away, the writer had already written and had ready, handed it to them, a one-page letter to give to his wife. Wow. And yeah, reportedly it said, among other things, quote, I have been waiting for this day for 20 years, and now it has finally come to an end. Now I can free myself of this spiritual torment I've had for so long, end quote. Wow. And several hours after taking Leo into custody, the police found and arrested Wang in Shanghai. Mm. So the Huzhou Intermediate People's Court in the Zhejiang province of China found the two men guilty of both robbery and homicide after they admitted to their crimes. And on July 30th, 2018, so not too long ago, um, they both were convicted and received the death penalty. Wow. Yeah, but the news that he had been arrested was what, like, the New York Times reported on this. Like, it was a thing that, like, this guy wrote these true crime novels, and it turned out he was a murderer of four people. Damn. Including a child. Yeah. Let's not forget, including a child. So, yeah. Oof. That's a, that's a one. That is a one. But... It's not, it's not, I wish we had ended on Oprah. I wish we had ended on Oprah's justice arc personally. Um, But you know, the hindsight, it's 2020. No, it's 2023. But hindsight. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's where we're at though. We've got our, we've got our world book day reading list. Yeah. Ripe for the picking. Um, and before we do our little sign off, I think our palate cleanser for this episode should probably be um, non-true crime books that we like. That's I think that works. I, I think that books is a good idea. And you know what? Because I'm feeling I'm benevolent, up, I think you can go first. Okay. I'm looking at my uh, Goodreads. Um, there is a book I have read several times i read it like probably like once a year it's like a comfort book um it was made into a movie a while ago i don't remember what year it came out uh the book came out in 2003 it's called this is where i leave you by jonathan troper t-r-o-p-p-e-r um mm-hmm. the made into a movie. uh made into a movie with jason bateman tina fey jane tina fonda fey. adam yeah. driver <laughs> So many people, everyone, uh, Rose Byrne, so many people are in this movie. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also That's also another like comfort movie. But the book is really fantastic. Um, the blurb is, quote, The death of Judd Foxman's father marks the first time the entire Foxman clan has been congregated in years. There is, however, one conspicuous absence. Uh, Judd's wife, Jen, whose affair with his radio shock jock boss has recently become painfully public, simultaneously mourning 
the demise of his father and his marriage, Judd joins his dysfunctional family as they reluctantly sit Shiva and spend seven days and nights under the same roof. The week quickly spins out of control as a long-standing as long-standing grudges sur- uh, resurface, secrets are revealed, and old passions are reawakened. Then Jen delivers the clincher: she's pregnant. Oh shit! See, I haven't yeah. seen the movie. I haven't read the book. Oh fuck! It's fantastic. I love it so much. Uh, yeah, read the book, watch the movie. But we're talking about books today, so this is where I leave you by Jonathan Troper as a three point eight eight out of five on Goodreads with over one hundred forty one thousand ratings. So I think it's liked. Yeah, I think it's liked. What um, about you? This is tough because I read a lot of true crime. <laughs> I know. Same. Uh, but I think this counts. Um, there is a web comic series that has been adapted into, I believe it's three books now. Um, okay. And the overarching title is Lore Olympus. And I believe it's separated into volumes one, two, and three for now. Okay. And um, the author is working on the fourth volume as it's basically it's on this thing, this app called Webtoon. And I really only have webtoon to read this web series and it's in they release like a it's kind of like it's kind of dickensian like they release a chapter rachel smythe the author um releases a chapter once a week i believe it's either saturdays or sundays um but it's all about it's beautifully illustrated and it's all about the uh love story between hades and persephone in greek mythology Yes, and she takes um, creative license, like a lot of creative license. Um, <clears throat> you won't be seeing a lot of the the shitty shit, but it's kind of like it's told from their perspective, and it's very interesting because the kind of general vibe is that the story that we know was kind of like propaganda of people who just had like issues with their love. Okay. Um, but it's very good. I highly recommend it. I look. For, it's something that I look forward to every week. Um, and it's just, it's absolutely beautifully done. I believe they're also making it into either a series on Netflix or a, a, a movie or something like I remember hearing about this, but it also was kind of announced before Netflix fucked over its entire animation department. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the, the series is worth it. The books are worth it. Um, if you want to get into the series on your phone, it's free. Um, if you want to get into the books, obviously the books are not free, but on your phone, there are 238 episodes and you can bang them out in like five minutes each. So you've got a good amount to go off of, but if you like Greek mythology, if you love just visually stunning illustrations, I just, I really recommend it. And yeah, right, cool. I love Greek I like mythology. That. Almost like I'd, I'd say that's up there with my true crime love. So cool. I like that. Yeah. All right. Well, um, that's it for us this week. And it's the last episode of the month where we want to thank our uh, Patreon patrons. Uh, thank you yeah. for helping us out with this episode and giving in your suggestions of truly. Uh, true crime or thriller or just novel controversies as always we want to thank our friends travis also other travis stevie michaela megan ariana kim janie sarah adam delaney and gage yeah every one of you so so much uh if you want to support our patreon for as little as a dollar as much as whatever you want you can support us patreon.com slash crime culture podcast i believe no patreon.com slash crime culture you got um uh you can support us there you can get episodes early you can uh have you can be part of the poll we usually do a poll instead of just a helping us out uh, but we're in a crunch this month so go ahead and join our patreon if you cannot support us financially you can support us for free by rating reviewing subscribing on your podcast platform of choice Mm -hmm. and also you know just suggesting it out to people that's also good too it's helpful it is very helpful um you can follow us on all of our social media we're on facebook instagram and twitter Mm -hmm. and 
You can email us, crimeculturepod at gmail.com, and uh, check out our website, crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. I don't know why that totally just, like, left my dome. It's the pollen. Yeah, it is, truly. Um, I hope you enjoyed. Happy uh, belated World Book Day. Go ahead and read something. It could be true crime related, but, you know, we got to always leave you with something a little happier than, like, uh, a murderer that wrote books and details their crimes in it. Mm-hmm. So uh, let us know what your Oprah. favorite books are. Justice yes. from Oprah. That's what we should leave this on is, like, you you mess with the Oprah bull, you get the fucking horns. I mean, can yeah. you imagine? Can you imagine? I bet she wasn't even fully mad. I think she would have released Gail. Yeah. Yeah. She could ruin your fucking life. Oh, God. She could ruin my life. I welcome it. Please. Yeah. Oprah, please. It would be a blessing. Oprah knows who I am. Please. Please. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, that's all for now. And we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.